although Prasnan was personally present 5,000 years ago and is no longer physically present from the materialistic point of view, Bhagavad Gita continues. In this connection we may call to memory the time, when I was fortunate enough to meet His Divine Grace Srila Prabhupada, sometime in the year 1922. Srila Prabhupada had come to Calcutta from Srinamamayapur to start the missionary activities of the Gaudiya Matha. He was sitting in a house at Altadanga when, through the inducement of an intimate friend, the late Srimad Narendranatha Malika, I had the opportunity to meet His Divine Grace for the first time. I do not remember the actual date of the meeting, but at that time I was one of the managers of Dr. Bose's laboratory in Calcutta. I was a newly married young man, addicted to Gandhi's movement and dressed in caddy. Fortunately, even at our first meeting, His Divine Grace advised me to preach the cult of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu in English in the Western countries. Because at that time I was a complete nationalist, a follower of Mahatma Gandhi's, I submitted to His Divine Grace that, unless our country were freed from foreign subjugation, no one would hear the message of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu seriously. Of course, we had some arguments on this subject, but at last I was defeated and convinced that Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu's message is the only panacea for suffering humanity. I was also convinced that the message of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu was then in the hands of a very expert devotee and that surely the message of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu would spread all over the world. I could not, however, immediately take up his instructions to preach, but I took his words very seriously and was always thinking of how to execute his order, although I was quite unfit to do so. In this way I passed my life as a householder until 1950, when I retired from family life as a Vedaprastha. With no companion, I loitered here and there until 1958, when I took Sanayasa. Then I was completely ready to discharge the order of my spiritual master. Previously, in 1936, just before His Divine Grace passed away at Jagannathapuri, I wrote him a letter asking what I could do to serve him. In reply, he wrote me a letter, dated the 13th of December 1936, ordering me, in the same way, to preach in English the cult of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu, as I had heard it from him. After he passed away, I started the fortnightly magazine Back to Godhead sometime in 1944 and tried to spread the cult of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu through this magazine. After I took Sanayasa, a well-wishing friend suggested that I write books instead of magazines. Magazines, he said, might be thrown away, but books remain perpetually. Then I attempted to write Srimad Bhagavatam. Before that, when I was a householder, I had written on Srimad Bhagavad and had completed about 1100 pages, but somehow or other the manuscript was stolen. In any case, when I had published Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, in three volumes in India, I thought of going to the U.S.A. By the mercy of His Divine Grace, I was able to come to New York on September 17, 1965. Since then, I have translated many books, including Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhaktir Samrata Sindhu, Teachings of Lord Ketanaya, A Summary, and many others. In the meantime, I was induced to translate Sri Ketanaya Karatamrata and publish it in an elaborate version. In his leisure time in later life, his divine grace Bhaktis Adhanta Sirasvati Thakura would simply read Ketanaya Karatamrata. It was his favorite book. He used to say that there would be a time when foreigners would learn the Bengali language to read Ketanaya Karatamrata. The work on this translation began about 18 months ago. Now, by the grace of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu and his divine grace Bhaktis Adhanta Sirasvati Thakura, it is finished. In this connection I have to thank my American disciples, especially Sriman Pradayamna Dasa Advikari, Sriman Nitya Dasa Advikari, Sriman Jayadvaita Dasa Brahmakari and many other boys and girls who are sincerely helping me in writing, editing and publishing all these literatures. I think that His Divine Grace Bhaktis Adhanta Sirasvati Thakura is always seeing my activities and guiding me within my heart by His words. As it is said in Srimad Bhagavatam, Teen Brahma Hridaya Adi Kave. Spiritual inspiration comes from within the heart, wherein the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in his Paramatma feature, is always sitting with all his devotees and associates. It is to be admitted that whatever translation work I have done is through the inspiration of my spiritual master, because personally I am most insignificant and incompetent to do this materially impossible work.
I do not think myself a very learned scholar, but I have full faith in the service of my spiritual master, his divine grace Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Sirasvati Thakura. If there is any credit to my activities of translating, it is all due to his divine grace. Certainly, if his divine grace were physically present at this time, it would have been a great occasion for jubilation, but even though he is not physically present, I am confident that he is very pleased by this work of translation. He was very fond of seeing many books published to spread the Krishna consciousness movement. Therefore our society, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, has formed to execute the order of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu and his divine grace Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Sirasvati Thakura. It is my wish that devotees of Lord Ketanaya all over the world enjoy this translation, and I am glad to express my gratitude to the learned men in the Western countries who are so pleased with my work that they are ordering in advance all my books that will be published in the future. On this occasion, therefore, I request my disciples who are determined to help me in this work to continue their cooperation fully, so that philosophers, scholars, religionists and people in general all over the world will benefit by reading our transcendental literature such as Srimad Bhagavatam and Sri Ketanaya Karatamrita. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports to Sri Ketanaya Karatamrita, dated November 10, 1974, at the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust, Hare Krishna Land, Juhu, Bombay. Ketanaya Karatamrita and Dash Antiyalila by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Summary, Ketanaya Karatamrita is the biography of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, written by Krishnadasa Kaviraja Goswami in the 16th century, now published with elaborate translations and commentaries in English by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. The multi-volume Ketanaya Karatamrita is divided into three sections, Adilila, Madhyalila, and Antiyalila, representing the beginning, middle, and concluding pastimes of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This file comprises the text of the several volumes that make up the Antiyalila section. Copyright Notice This is an evaluation copy of the printed version of this book, and is not for resale. This evaluation copy is intended for personal non-commercial use only, under the fair use guidelines established by international copyright laws. You may use this electronic file to evaluate the printed version of this book, for your own private use, or for short excerpts used in academic works, research, student papers, presentations, and the like. You can distribute this evaluation copy to others over the internet, so long as you keep this copyright information intact. You may not reproduce more than 10%, 10% of this book in any media without the express written permission from the copyright holders. Reference any excerpts in the following way, excerpted from Ketanaya Karatamrita by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, courtesy of the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust International, World Wide Web. Krishna.com. This book and electronic file is copyright 1975-2003 Bhaktivedanta Book Trust International, 3764 Watsika Avenue, Los Angeles, California 90034, USA. All rights reserved. For any questions, comments, correspondence, or to evaluate dozens of other books in this collection, visit the website of the publishers, worldwideweb.krishna.com. 03. Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavata Purana. This is a work to be treasured. No one of whatever faith or philosophical persuasion who reads these books with an open mind can fail to be both moved and impressed. Dr. Gary Jalid, Professor of Psychology, Oxford University. It has been my great pleasure recently to have read the Srimad Bhagavatam. In the superb edition authorized by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. I am sure this monumental work will go far to bring the sublime message of the Bhagavatam to numerous Westerners who otherwise would miss this opportunity. Dr. Alex Wayman, Professor of Sanskrit, Columbia University. The Srimad Bhagavatam is extremely useful for all those interested in ancient India, whether their interest be that of the philosopher, the student of religion, the historian, the linguist, the sociologist or the political scientist. I truly hope that Srila Prabhupada will complete his translation of the entire Bhagavata and continue to translate other eminent Sanskrit works as well. Undoubtedly, this work of Swamiji's is a great contribution to the troubled human society of today's world. 
Dr. Sudha L. Matt, Professor of Indian Languages, Boston University. The Bhaktivedanta Book Trust editions of famous religious classics of India, with new translations and commentaries, are an important addition to our expanding knowledge of spiritual India. The new edition of the Srimad Bhagavatam is particularly welcome. Dr. John L. Mischief, Oriental Division, New York Public Library. A commentary on the Vedanta Sutra by Srila Vyasadeva divided into 12 cantos of which four are presented here in eight beautifully produced volumes. These lavish volumes, obviously the product of devotional effort, contain many lovely full-color illustrations. Choice Magazine, June, 1975. In the diversity of religious approaches offered by the yogis of India, the most significant, of course, is the way of Krishna consciousness. It is amazing to see how Sri Bhaktivedanta Swami has in less than 10 years succeeded, by his personal devotion, untiring energy and efficient direction, in organizing the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Now, he has undertaken the stupendous project of rendering the entire Bhagavata, the great devotional classic of India, into English. His edition is learning blended with devotional feeling and inspired by a definite purpose of communicating the intense hierarchical and devotional quality of the Bhagavata. Srila Prabhupada has done an excellent service by his able rendition of the abode of divine joy that the Bhagavata is. Dr. Mahashmita, Professor of Asian Studies University of Windsor, Ontario, Canada. It is axiomatic that no book can be expected entirely to satisfy all its potential readers. Here is one, however, which can be said to come remarkably close to that ideal. We have here the ideal of what an edition of a Sanskrit text for a Western audience should be. Dr. Ari Asher, Professor of Linguistics, University of Edinburgh. For those who have no access to the Sanskrit language, these books convey, in superb manner, the message of the Bhagavatam. In addition to being a scholarly work, it directly reflects the spiritual aspirations of a religious community which has gained considerable popularity in modern America. Dr. Alaka Hedge of Department of Sanskrit and Indian Studies, Harvard University. Srimad Bhagavatam is a valuable source material and cannot but be attractive to serious students and scholars of religion and philosophy. I recommend this series, to anyone, as an important and useful reference work. Dr. C.P. Agrawal, Chairwoman Department of Humanities, University of Michigan Reviews. Canto 1, Creation. First Canto Creation. SB Dedication. Dedication. To Srila Prabhupada Bhaktis and Hanta Sirasvati Gosvami Maharaja. My spiritual master. On the 26th annual ceremony of his appearance day. He lives forever by his divine instructions and the follower lives with him. SB Preface. Preface. We must know the present need of human society. And what is that need? Human society is no longer bounded by geographical limits to particular countries or communities. Human society is broader than in the Middle Ages, and the world tendency is toward one state or one human society. The ideals of spiritual communism, according to Srimad Bhagavatam, are based more or less on the oneness of the entire human society, nay, of the entire energy of living beings. The need is felt by great thinkers to make this a successful ideology. Srimad Bhagavatam will fill this need in human society. It begins, therefore, with the aphorism of Vedanta philosophy Janmadi Asaya Yadaha left square bracket SB 1.1.1 right square bracket to establish the ideal of a common cause. Human society, at the present moment, is not in the darkness of oblivion. It has made rapid progress in the field of material comforts, education and economic development throughout the entire world. But there is a pinprick somewhere in the social body at large, and therefore there are large-scale quarrels, even over less important issues. There is need of a clue as to how humanity can become one in peace, friendship and prosperity with a common cause. Srimad Bhagavatam will fill this need, for it is a cultural presentation for the respiritualization of the entire human society. Srimad Bhagavatam should be introduced also in the schools and colleges, for it is recommended by the great student devotee Pralada Maharaja in order to change the demoniac face of society. Kamara Akarat Prajno Dharman Bhagavatam Manusam Janma Tad Happy and SB 7.6.1 Disparity in human society is due to lack of principles in a godless civilization. 
There is God, or the Almighty One, from whom everything emanates, by whom everything is maintained and in whom everything is merged to rest. Material science has tried to find the ultimate source of creation very insufficiently, but it is a fact that there is one ultimate source of everything that be. This ultimate source is explained rationally and authoritatively in the beautiful Bhagavatam, or Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad Bhagavatam is the transcendental science not only for knowing the ultimate source of everything but also for knowing our relation with him and our duty toward perfection of the human society on the basis of this perfect knowledge. It is powerful reading matter in the Sanskrit language, and it is now rendered into English elaborately, so that simply by a careful reading one will know God perfectly well, so much so that the reader will be sufficiently educated to defend himself from the onslaught of atheists. Over and above this, the reader will be able to convert others to accepting God as a concrete principle. Srimad Bhagavatam begins with the definition of the ultimate source. It is a bona fide commentary on the Vedanta Sutra by the same author, Srila Vyasadeva, and gradually it develops into nine cantos up to the highest state of God-realization. The only qualification one needs to study this great book of transcendental knowledge is to proceed step by step cautiously and not jump forward haphazardly like with an ordinary book. It should be gone through chapter by chapter, one after another. The reading matter is so arranged with its original Sanskrit text, its English transliteration, synonyms, translation and purports, so that one is sure to become a God-realized soul at the end of finishing the first nine cantos. The tenth canto is distinct from the first nine cantos, because it deals directly with the transcendental activities of the personality of Godhead Shri Krishna. One will be enabled to capture the effects of the tenth canto without going through the first nine cantos. The book is complete in twelve cantos, each independent, but it is good for all to read them in small installments one after another. I must admit my frailties in presenting Srimad Bhagavatam, but still I am hopeful of its good reception by the thinkers and leaders of society on the strength of the following statement of Srimad Bhagavatam, 1.5.11. Tadvag visargo janadagavit plavo yasmin prati slakam abadhavati api namani anantasaya yasom kevani yak kranvanti gayanti granati santavadah. On the other hand, that literature which is full with descriptions of the transcendental glories of the name, fame, form and pastimes of the unlimited Supreme Lord is a transcendental creation meant to bring about a revolution in the impious life of a misdirected civilization. Such transcendental literatures, even though irregularly composed, are heard, sung and accepted by purified men who are thoroughly honest. Um Tatsat A.C. Back to Vedanta Swami dated at daily December 15, 1962. SB Introduction. Introduction. The conception of God and the conception of Absolute Truth are not on the same level. The Srimad Bhagavatam hits on the target of the Absolute Truth. The conception of God indicates the controller, whereas the conception of the Absolute Truth indicates the Samambhanam or the ultimate source of all energies. There is no difference of opinion about the personal feature of God, as the controller, because a controller cannot be impersonal. Of course modern government, especially democratic government, is impersonal to some extent, but ultimately the chief executive head is a person, and the impersonal feature of government is subordinate to the personal feature. So without a doubt, whenever we refer to control over others we must admit the existence of a personal feature. Because there are different controllers for different managerial positions, there may be many small gods. According to the Bhagavad Gita, any controller who has some specific extraordinary power is called a Vidhyudamatsadva, or controller empowered by the Lord. There are many Vidhyudamatsadvas, controllers or gods with various specific powers, but the absolute truth is one without a second. This Srimad Bhagavatam designates the absolute truth or the Samambhanam as the Paramsatayam. The author of Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Vyasadeva, first offers his respectful obeisances unto the Param Satyam, Absolute Truth, and because the Param Satyam is the ultimate source of all energies, the Param Satyam is the Supreme Person. The gods or the controllers are undoubtedly persons, but the Param Satyam from whom the gods derive powers of control is the Supreme Person. The Sanskrit word Isvara controller conveys the import of God, but the Supreme Person is called the Paramesvara, or the Supreme Isvara. 
the Supreme Person, or Paramesvara, is the Supreme Conscious Personality, and because he does not derive any power from any other source, he is supremely independent. In the Vedic literatures Brahma is described as the Supreme God or the head of all other gods like Indra, Kendra and Viruna, but the Srimad Bhagavatam confirms that even Brahma is not independent as far as his power and knowledge are concerned. He received knowledge in the form of the Vedas from the Supreme Person who resides within the heart of every living being. That Supreme Personality knows everything directly and indirectly. Individual infinitesimal persons, who are parts and parcels of the Supreme Personality, may know directly and indirectly everything about their bodies or external features, but the Supreme Personality knows everything about both his external and internal features. The words Janmati Asaya left square bracket SB 1.1.1 right square bracket suggest that the source of all production, maintenance or destruction is the same Supreme Conscious Person. Even in our present experience we can know that nothing is generated from inert matter, but inert matter can be generated from the living entity. For instance, by contact with the living entity, the material body develops into a working machine. Men with a poor fund of knowledge mistake the bodily machinery to be the living being, but the fact is that the living being is the basis of the bodily machine. The bodily machine is useless as soon as the living spark is away from it. Similarly, the original source of all material energy is the Supreme Person. This fact is expressed in all the Vedic literatures, and all the exponents of spiritual science have accepted this truth. The living force is called Brahman, and one of the greatest Akaras, teachers, namely Sripadasankarakaraya, has preached that Brahman is substance, whereas the cosmic world is category. The original source of all energies is the living force, and he is logically accepted as the Supreme Person. He is therefore conscious of everything past, present and future, and also of each and every corner of his manifestations, both material and spiritual. An imperfect living being does not even know what is happening within his own personal body. He eats his food but does not know how this food is transformed into energy or how it sustains his body. When a living being is perfect, he is aware of everything that happens, and since the Supreme Person is all perfect, it is quite natural that he knows everything in all detail. Consequently the perfect personality is addressed in the Srimad Bhagavatam as Vasudeva, or one who lives everywhere in full consciousness and in full possession of his complete energy. All of this is clearly explained in the Srimad Bhagavatam, and the reader has ample opportunity to study this critically. In the modern age Lord Shri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu preached the Srimad Bhagavatam by practical demonstration. It is easier to penetrate into the topics of the Srimad Bhagavatam through the medium of Sri Ketanaya's causeless mercy. Therefore a short sketch of his life and precepts is inserted herein to help the reader understand the real merit of Srimad Bhagavatam. It is imperative that one learn the Srimad Bhagavatam from the person Bhagavatam. The person Bhagavatam is one whose very life is Srimad Bhagavatam in practice. Since Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu is the absolute personality of Godhead, he is both Bhagavan and Bhagavatam in person and in sound. Therefore his process of approaching the Srimad Bhagavatam is practical for all people of the world. It was his wish that the Srimad Bhagavatam be preached in every nook and corner of the world by those who happened to take their birth in India. The Srimad Bhagavatam is the science of Krishna, the absolute personality of Godhead of whom we have preliminary information from the text of the Bhagavad Gita. Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu has said that anyone, regardless of what he is, who is well versed in the science of Krishna, Srimad Bhagavatam, and Bhagavad Gita can become an authorized preacher or preceptor in the science of Krishna. There is a need for the science of Krishna in human society for the good of all suffering humanity of the world, and we simply request the leaders of all nations to pick up this science of Krishna for their own good, for the good of society and for the good of all the world's people. A short sketch of the life and teachings of Lord Ketanaya, the preacher of Srimad Bhagavatam. Lord Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu, the great apostle of love of God and the father of the congregational chanting of the holy name of the Lord, advented himself at Srintamamayapur, a quarter in the then city of Navadvipur in Bengal, on the Falguni Purnima evening in the year 1407 Sikabda, corresponding to February 18, 1486, by the Christian calendar. 
His father, Sri Jagannatha Misra, a learned Brahmana from the district of Silvat, came to Navadvipa as a student, because at that time Navadvipa was considered to be the center of education and culture. He domiciled on the banks of the Ganges after marrying Srimati Sasadini, a daughter of Srila Nilambara Kakravarti, the great learned scholar of Navadvipa. Jagannatha Misra had a number of daughters by his wife, Srimati Sasadini, but they all expired at an early age. The two surviving sons, Sri Visvarupa and Visvambhara, became at last the object of their parental affection. The tenth child and youngest son, who was named Visvambhara, later became known as Nimai Pandit and then, after accepting the renounced order of life, Lord Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu. Lord Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu exhibited his transcendental activities for 48 years and then disappeared from this mortal world in the year 1455 Sakabda at Puri. For his first 24 years he remained at Navadvipa as a student and householder. His first wife was Rimati Lakshmipraya, who died at an early age, when the Lord was away from home. When he returned from East Bengal he was requested by his mother to accept a second wife, and he agreed. His second wife was Rimati Visnaprayaya Devi, who bore the separation of the Lord throughout her life, because the Lord took the order of Sanyasa at the age of 24, when Srimati Visnaprayaya was barely 16 years old. After taking Sanyasa, the Lord made his headquarters at Jagannathapuri due to the request of his mother, Srimati Sasadini. The Lord remained for 24 years at Puri. For six years of this time he traveled continuously all over India, and especially throughout southern India, preaching the Srimad Bhagavatam. Lord Ketanaya not only preached the Srimad Bhagavatam but propagated the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita as well in the most practical way. In the Bhagavad Gita Lord Sri Krishna is depicted as the absolute personality of Godhead, and his last teachings in that great book of transcendental knowledge instruct that one should give up all other modes of religious activities and accept him, Lord Sri Krishna, as the only worshipable Lord. The Lord then assured that all his devotees would be protected from all sorts of sinful acts and that for them there would be no cause for anxiety. Unfortunately, despite Lord Sri Krishna's direct order and the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita, less intelligent people misunderstand him to be nothing but a great historical personality, and thus they cannot accept him as the original personality of Godhead. Such men with a poor fund of knowledge are misled by many non-devotees. Thus the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita were misinterpreted even by great scholars. After the disappearance of Lord Sri Krishna there were hundreds of commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita by many erudite scholars, and almost every one of them was motivated by self-interest. Lord Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu is the self-same Lord Sri Krishna. This time, however, he appeared as a great devotee of the Lord in order to preach to the people in general, as well as to religionists and philosophers, about the transcendental position of Sri Krishna, the primeval Lord and the cause of all causes. The essence of his preaching is that Lord Sri Krishna, who appeared at Vrajabhumi, Vrindavana, as the son of the king of Vraja, Nanda Maharaja, is the supreme personality of Godhead and is therefore worshipable by all. Vrindavana Dhamma is non-different from the Lord, because the name, fame, form and place where the Lord manifests himself are all identical with the Lord as absolute knowledge. Therefore Vrindavana Dhamma is as worshipable as the Lord. The highest form of transcendental worship of the Lord was exhibited by the damsels of Vrajabhumi in the form of pure affection for the Lord, and Lord Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu recommends this process as the most excellent mode of worship. He accepts the Srimad Bhagavata Purana as the spotless literature for understanding the Lord, and he preaches that the ultimate goal of life for all human beings is to attain the stage of Pramat, or love of God. Many devotees of Lord Ketanaya like Srila Vrindavana Dasafakura, Srila Kana Dasafakura, Srila Krishnadasakavira Jagasvami, Sri Kavikarnapura, Sri Prabhupada Sarasvati, Sri Rupadasvami, Sri Sanatana Gosvami, Sri Raghunathabhada Gosvami, Sri Jiva Gosvami, Sri Dapalabhada Gosvami, Sri Raghunathadasa Gosvami and in this latter age within 200 years, Sri Visvanathakakravarti, Sri Baladeva Vidyanhusana, Sri Sayamananda Gosvami, Sri Naradama Dasafakura, Sri Bhaktivinoda Fakura and at last Sri Bhaktisadhanta Sarasvati Fakura, our spiritual master.
and many other great and renowned scholars and devotees of the Lord have prepared voluminous books and literatures on the life and precepts of the Lord. Such literatures are all based on the sastras like the Vedas, Puranas, Upanishads, Ramayana, Mahabharata and other histories and authentic literatures approved by the recognized Akaras. They are unique in composition and unrivaled in presentation, and they are full of transcendental knowledge. Unfortunately the people of the world are still ignorant of them, but when these literatures, which are mostly in Sanskrit and Bengali, come to light the world, and when they are presented before thinking people, then India's glory and the message of love will overflow this morbid world, which is vainly searching after peace and prosperity by various illusory methods not approved by the Akaras in the chain of disciplic succession. The readers of this small description of the life and precepts of Lord Ketanaya will profit much to go through the books of Srila Vrindavana Dasafakura, Sri Ketanaya Bhagavata, and Srila Krishnadasaka Viraja Gosvami, Sri Ketanaya Karatamrata. The early life of the Lord is most fascinatingly expressed by the author of Ketanaya Bhagavata, and as far as the teachings are concerned, they are more vividly explained in the Ketanaya Karatamrata. Now they are available to the English-speaking public in our teachings of Lord Ketanaya. The Lord's early life was recorded by one of his chief devotees and contemporaries, namely Srila Murari Gupta, a medical practitioner of that time, and the latter part of the life of Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu was recorded by his private secretary Sri Damodara Gosvami, or Srila Svirupa Damodara, who was practically a constant companion of the Lord at Puri. These two devotees recorded practically all the incidents of the Lord's activities, and later on all the books dealing with the Lord, which are above mentioned, were composed on the basis of Catechus, Notebooks, by Srila Damodara Gosvami and Murari Gupta. So the Lord advented himself on the Falguni Purnima evening of 1407 Sakabda, and it was by the will of the Lord that there was a lunar eclipse on that evening. During the hours of eclipse it was the custom of the Hindu public to take bath in the Ganges or any other sacred river and chant the Vedic mantras for purification. When Lord Ketanaya was born during the lunar eclipse, all India was roaring with the holy sound of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare slash Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. These sixteen names of the Lord are mentioned in many Puranas and Upanishads, and they are described as the Tarakabrahmanama of this age. It is recommended in the Sastras that offenseless chanting of these holy names of the Lord can deliver a fallen soul from material bondage. There are innumerable names of the Lord both in India and outside, and all of them are equally good, because all of them indicate the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But because these sixteen are especially recommended for this age, people should take advantage of them and follow the path of the great Akaris who attain success by practicing the rules of the Sastras, revealed scriptures. The simultaneous occurrence of the Lord's appearance and the lunar eclipse indicated the distinctive mission of the Lord. This mission was to preach the importance of chanting the holy names of the Lord in this age of Kali, quarrel. In this present age quarrels take place even over trifles, and therefore the Sastras have recommended for this age a common platform for realization, namely chanting the holy names of the Lord. People can hold meetings to glorify the Lord in their respective languages and with melodious songs, and if such performances are executed in an offenseless manner, it is certain that the participants will gradually attain spiritual perfection without having to undergo more rigorous methods. At such meetings everyone, the learned and the foolish, the rich and the poor, the Hindus and the Muslims, the Englishmen and the Indians, and the Candilus and the Brahmanas, can all hear the transcendental sounds and thus cleanse the dust of material association from the mirror of the heart. To confirm the Lord's mission, all the people of the world will accept the holy name of the Lord as the common platform for the universal religion of mankind. In other words, the advent of the Holy Name took place along with the advent of Lord Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu. When the Lord was on the lap of his mother, he would at once stop crying as soon as the ladies surrounding him chanted the Holy Names and clapped their hands. This peculiar incident was observed by the neighbors with awe and veneration. Sometimes the young girls took pleasure in making the Lord cry and then stopping him by chanting the Holy Name. So from his very childhood the Lord began to preach the importance of the Holy Name. In his early age Lord Shri Ketanaya was known as Nimei. This name was given by his beloved mother, 
because the Lord took his birth beneath a nimba tree in the courtyard of his paternal house. When the Lord was offered solid food at the age of six months in the Anaprasana ceremony, the Lord indicated his future activities. At this time it was customary to offer the child both coins and books in order to get some indication of the future tendencies of the child. The Lord was offered on one side coins and on the other the Srimad Bhagavatam. The Lord accepted the Bhagavatam instead of the coins. When he was a mere baby crawling in the yard, one day a snake appeared before him, and the Lord began to play with it. All the members of the house were struck with fear and awe, but after a little, while the snake went away, and the baby was taken away by his mother. Once he was stolen by a thief who intended to steal his ornaments, but the Lord took a pleasure trip on the shoulder of the bewildered thief, who was searching for a solitary place in order to rob the baby. It so happened, that the thief, wandering hither and thither, finally arrived just before the house of Jagannathamisra and, being afraid of being caught, dropped the baby at once. Of course the anxious parents and relatives were glad to see the lost child. Once a pilgrim Ramana was received at the house of Jagannathamisra, and when he was offering food to the Godhead, the Lord appeared before him and partook of the prepared food. The eatables had to be rejected, because the child touched them, and so the Brahmana had to make another preparation. The next time the same thing happened, and when this happened repeatedly for the third time, the baby was finally put to bed. At about twelve at night when all the members of the house were fast asleep within their closed rooms, the pilgrim Brahmana offered his specially prepared foods to the deity, and, in the same way, the baby lord appeared before the pilgrim and spoiled his offerings. The Brahmana then began to cry, but since everyone was fast asleep, no one could hear him. At that time the baby lord appeared before the fortunate Brahmana and disclosed his identity as Krishna himself. The Brahmana was forbidden to disclose this incident, and the baby returned to the lap of his mother. There are many similar incidents in his childhood. As a naughty boy he sometimes used to tease the orthodox Brahmanas who used to bathe in the gangs. When the Brahmanas complained to his father that he was splashing them with water instead of attending school, the Lord suddenly appeared before his father, as though just coming from school with all his school clothes and books. At the bathing gada he also used to play jokes on the neighboring girls who engaged in worshipping Shiva in hopes of getting good husbands. This is a common practice amongst unmarried girls in Hindu families. While they were engaged in such worship, the Lord Naudali appeared before them and said, My dear sisters, please give me all the offerings you have just brought for Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva is my devotee, and Parvati is my maidservant. If you worship me, then Lord Shiva and all the other demigods will be more satisfied. Some of them refused to obey the naughty Lord, and he would curse them that due to their refusal they would be married to old men who had seven children by their previous wives. Out of fear and sometimes out of love the girls would also offer him various goods, and then the Lord would bless them and assure them that they would have very good young husbands and that they would be mothers of dozens of children. The blessings would enliven the girls, but they used often to complain of these incidents to their mothers. In this way the Lord passed his early childhood. When he was just 16 years old he started his own Katuspathy, village school conducted by learned Brahmana. In this school he would simply explain Krishna, even in readings of grammar. Srila Jivagasvami, in order to please the Lord, later composed a grammar in Sanskrit, in which all the rules of grammar were explained with examples that used the holy names of the Lord. This grammar is still current. It is known as Harinamanradavayakarana and is prescribed in the syllabus of schools in Bengal. During this time a great Kashmir scholar named Kasava Kasmiri came to Navadvipa to hold discussions on the Sastras. The Kashmir Pandita was a champion scholar, and he had traveled to all places of learning in India. Finally he came to Navadvipa to contest the learned Panditas there. The Panditas of Navadvipa decided to match Nime Pandita, Lord Ketanaya, with the Kashmir Pandita, thinking that, if Nime Pandita were defeated, they would have another chance to debate with the scholar, for Nime Pandita was only a boy. And if the Kashmir Pandita were defeated, then they would even be more glorified, because people would proclaim that a mere boy of Navadvita had defeated a champion scholar who was famous throughout India. It so happened, that Nime Pandita met Kasava Kasmiri, while strolling on the banks of the Gangs. 
the Lord requested him to compose a Sanskrit verse in praise of the Gangs, and the Pandita within a short time composed a hundred slokas, reciting the verses like a storm and showing the strength of his vast learning. Nimai Pandita at once memorized all the slokas without an error. He quoted the 64th sloka and pointed out certain rhetorical and literary irregularities. He particularly questioned the Pandita's use of the word Bhavani Bharda. He pointed out that the use of this word was redundant. Bhavani means the wife of Shiva, and who else can be her Bharda, or husband? He also pointed out several other discrepancies, and the Kashmir Pandita was struck with wonder. He was astonished that a mere student of grammar could point out the literary mistakes of an erudite scholar. Although this matter was ended prior to any public meeting, the news spread like wildfire all over Navadvipa. But finally Kesava Kesmeri was ordered in a dream by Sarasvati, the goddess of learning, to submit to the Lord, and thus the Kashmir Pandita became a follower of the Lord. The Lord was then married with great pomp and gaiety, and at this time he began to preach the congregational chanting of the holy name of the Lord at Navadvipa. Some of the Brahmanas became envious of his popularity, and they put many hindrances on his path. They were so jealous that they finally took the matter before the Muslim magistrate at Navadvipa. Bengal was then governed by Pathans, and the governor of the province was Nawab Hussain Shah. The Muslim magistrate of Navadvipa took up the complaints of the Brahmanas seriously, and at first he warned the followers of Nimai Pandita not to chant loudly the name of Hari. But Lord Ketanaya asked his followers to disobey the orders of the Kazi, and they went on with their Sankirtana, chanting, party as usual. The magistrate then sent constables who interrupted Asankirtana and broke some of the Mridangas, drums. When Nimai Pandita heard of this incident he organized a party for civil disobedience. He is the pioneer of the civil disobedience movement in India for the right cause. He organized a procession of 100,000 men with thousands of Mridangas and Kiratilis, hand symbols, and this procession passed over the roads of Navadvipa in defiance of the Kazi who had issued the order. Finally the procession reached the house of the Kazi, who went upstairs out of fear of the masses. The great crowds assembled at the Kazi's house displayed a violent temper, but the Lord asked them to be peaceful. At this time the Kazi came down and tried to pacify the Lord by addressing him as his nephew. He pointed out that Nilambara Kakravarti referred to him as an uncle, and consequently, Srimati Sasadini, the mother of Nimai Pandita, was his sister. He asked the Lord whether his sister's son could be angry at his maternal uncle, and the Lord replied that, since the Kazi was his maternal uncle he should receive his nephew well at his home. In this way the issue was mitigated, and the two learned scholars began a long discussion on the Quran and Hindu sastras. The Lord raised the question of cow killing, and the Kazi properly answered him by referring to the Quran. In turn the Kazi also questioned the Lord about cow sacrifice in the Vedas, and the Lord replied that such sacrifice, as mentioned in the Vedas is not actually cow killing. In that sacrifice an old bull or cow was sacrificed for the sake of receiving a fresh younger life by the power of Vedic mantras. But in the Kali Yuga such cow sacrifices are forbidden, because there are no qualified Brahmanas capable of conducting such a sacrifice. In fact, in Kali Yuga all Yajnas, sacrifices, are forbidden, because they are useless attempts by foolish men. In Kali Yuga only the Sankirtana Yajna is recommended for all practical purposes. Speaking in this way, the Lord finally convinced the Kazi, who became the Lord's follower. The Kazi thenceforth declared that no one should hinder the Sankirtana movement which was started by the Lord, and the Kazi left this order in his will for the sake of progeny. The Kazi's tomb still exists in the area of Navadvipa, and Hindu pilgrims go there to show their respects. The Kazi's descendants are residents, and they never objected to Sankirtana, even during the Hindu-Muslim riot days. This incident shows clearly that the Lord was not a so-called timid Vaisnava. A Vaisnava is a fearless devotee of the Lord, and for the right cause he can take any step suitable for the purpose. Arjuna was also a Vaisnava devotee of Lord Krishna, and he fought valiantly for the satisfaction of the Lord. Similarly, Vajrangaji, or Hanuman, was also a devotee of Lord Rama, and he gave lessons to the non-devotee party of Ravana. The principles of Vaisnavism are to satisfy the Lord by all means. A Vaisnava is by nature a non-violent, peaceful living being, 
and he has all the good qualities of God, but when the non-devotee blasphemes the Lord or his devotee, the Vaisnava never tolerates such impudency. After this incident the Lord began to preach and propagate his Bhagavata Dharma, or Sankirtana movement, more vigorously, and whoever stood against this propagation of the Yuga Dharma, or duty of the age, was properly punished by various types of chastisement. Two Brahmana gentlemen named Kapila and Gopala, who also happened to be maternal uncles of the Lord, were inflicted with leprosy by way of chastisement, and later, when they were repentant, they were accepted by the Lord. In the course of his preaching work, he used to send daily all his followers, including Srila Nityananda Prabhu and Fakura Hiridasa, to chief whips of his party, from door to door to preach the Srimad Bhagavatam all of Navadvipa was surcharged with his Sankirtana movement, and his headquarters were situated at the house of Srivasa Fakura and Sri Advaita Prabhu, two of his chief householder disciples. These two learned heads of the Brahmana community were the most ardent supporters of Lord Ketanaya's movement. Sri Advaita Prabhu was the chief cause for the advent of the Lord. When Advaita Prabhu saw that the total human society was full of materialistic activities and devoid of devotional service, which alone could save mankind from the threefold miseries of material existence, he, out of his causeless compassion for the age-worn human society, prayed fervently for the incarnation of the Lord and continually worshipped the Lord with water of the gangs and leaves of the holy Tulasi tree. As far as preaching work in the Sankirtana movement was concerned, everyone was expected to do his daily share according to the order of the Lord. Once Natayananda Prabhu and Srila Hiridasa Fakura were walking down a main road, and on the way they saw a roaring crowd assembled. Upon inquiring from passers-by, they understood that two brothers, named Jagay and Madhay, were creating a public disturbance in a drunken state. They also heard that these two brothers were born in a respectable Brahmana family, but because of low association they had turned into denachis of the worst type. They were not only drunkards but also meat-eaters, woman-hunters, dacoits and sinners of all description. Srila Natayananda Prabhu heard all of these stories and decided that these two fallen souls must be the first to be delivered. If they were delivered from their sinful life, then the good name of Lord Ketanaya would be even still more glorified. Thinking in this way, Natayananda Prabhu and Hiridasa pushed their way through the crowd and asked the two brothers to chant the holy name of Lord Harry. The drunken brothers became enraged upon this request and attacked Natayananda Prabhu with filthy language. Both brothers chased them a considerable distance. In the evening the report of the preaching work was submitted to the Lord, and he was glad to learn that Matayananda and Hiridasa had attempted to deliver such a stupid pair of fellows. The next day Natayananda Prabhu went to see the brothers, and as soon as he approached them one of them threw a piece of earth and pot at him. This struck him on the forehead, and immediately blood began to flow. But Natayananda Prabhu was so kind that instead of protesting this heinous act, he said, It does not matter that you have thrown this stone at me. I still request you to chant the holy name of Lord Harry. One of the brothers, Jagay, was astonished to see this behavior of Natayananda Prabhu, and he at once fell down at his feet and asked him to pardon his sinful brother. When Madhay again attempted to hurt Natayananda Prabhu, Jagay stopped him and implored him to fall down at his feet. In the meantime the news of Matayananda's injury reached the Lord, who at once hurried to the spot in a fiery and angry mood. The Lord immediately invoked his suitor Sanakakra, the Lord's ultimate weapon, shaped like a wheel, to kill the sinners, but Matayananda Prabhu reminded him of his mission. The mission of the Lord was to deliver the hopelessly fallen souls of Kali Yuga, and the brothers Jagay and Madhay were typical examples of these fallen souls. 99% of the population of this age resembles these brothers, despite high birth and mundane respectability. According to the verdict of the revealed scriptures, the total population of the world in this age will be of the lowest sadra, quality, or even lower. It should be noted that Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu never acknowledged the stereotyped caste system by birthright, rather, he strictly followed the verdict of the sastras in the matter of one's svirupa, or real identity. When the Lord was invoking his suitor Sanakakra and Srila Natayananda Prabhu was imploring him to forgive the two brothers, both the brothers fell down at the lotus feet of the Lord and begged his pardon for their gross behavior. 
The Lord was also asked by Natayananda Prabhu to accept these repenting souls, and the Lord agreed to accept them on one condition, that they henceforward completely give up all their sinful activities and habits of debauchery. Both the brothers agreed and promised to give up all their sinful habits, and the kind Lord accepted them and did not again refer to their past misdeeds. This is the specific kindness of Lord Ketanaya. In this age no one can say that he is free from sin. It is impossible for anyone to say this. But Lord Ketanaya accepts all kinds of sinful persons on the one condition that they promise not to indulge in sinful habits after being spiritually initiated by the bona fide spiritual master. There are a number of instructive points to he observed in this incident of the two brothers. In this Kali Yuga practically all people are of the quality of Jagay and Madhay. If they want to be relieved from the reactions of their misdeeds, they must take shelter of Lord Ketanaya Mahaprabhu and after spiritual initiation thus refrain from those things which are prohibited in the Sastras. The prohibitory rules are dealt with in the Lord's teachings to Srila Rupadasvami. During his householder life, the Lord did not display many of the miracles which are generally expected from such personalities, but he did once perform a wonderful miracle in the house of Srinivasafakura, while Sankirtana was in full swing. He asked the devotees what they wanted to eat, and when he was informed that they wanted to eat mangoes, he asked for a seed of a mango, although this fruit was out of season. When the seed was brought to him he sowed it in the yard of Srinivasa, and at once a creeper began to grow out of the seed. Within no time this creeper became a full-grown mango tree heavy with more ripened fruits than the devotees could eat. The tree remained in Srinivasa's yard, and from then on the devotees used to take as many mangoes from the tree, as they wanted. The Lord had a very high estimation of the affections of the damsels of Vrajabhumi, Vrindavana, for Krishna, and in appreciation of their unalloyed service to the Lord, once Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu chanted the holy names of the Gopis, towered girls, instead of the names of the Lord. At this time some of his students, who were also disciples, came to see him, and when they saw that the Lord was chanting the names of the Gopis, they were astonished. Out of sheer foolishness they asked the Lord why he was chanting the names of the Gopis and advised him to chant the name of Krishna. The Lord, who was in ecstasy, was thus disturbed by these foolish students. He chastised them and chased them away. The students were almost the same age as the Lord, and thus they wrongly thought of the Lord as one of their peers. They held a meeting and resolved that they would attack the Lord if he dared to punish them again in such a manner. This incident provoked some malicious talks about the Lord on the part of the general public. When the Lord became aware of this, he began to consider the various types of men found in society. He noted that especially the students, professors, fruitive workers, yogis, non-devotees, and different types of atheists were all opposed to the devotional service of the Lord. My mission is to deliver all the fallen souls of this age, he thought, but if they commit offenses against me, thinking me to be an ordinary man, they will not benefit. If they are to begin their life of spiritual realization, they must some way or another offer obeisances unto me. Thus the Lord decided to accept the renounced order of life, Sannyasa, because people in general were inclined to offer respects to a Sannyasi. Five hundred years ago the condition of society was not as degraded as it is today. At that time people would show respects to a Sannyasi, and the Sannyasi was rigid in following the rules and regulations of the renounced order of life. Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu was not very much in favor of the renounced order of life in this age of Kali, but that was only for the reason that very few Sannyasis in this age are able to observe the rules and regulations of Sannyasa life. Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu decided to accept the order and become an ideal sannyasi so that the general populace would show him respect. One is duty-bound to show respect to a sannyasi. For a sannyasi is considered to be the master of all varnas and asramas. While he was contemplating accepting the sannyasa order, it so happened that Kasavabharati, a sannyasi of the Mayavadi school and resident of Katwa, in Bengal, visited Navadvipur and was invited to dine with the Lord. When Kasavabharati came to his house, the Lord asked him to award him the Sannyasa order of life. This was a matter of formality. The Sannyasa order is to be accepted from another Sannyasi. Although the Lord was independent in all respects, still, 
to keep up the formalities of the Sastras, he accepted the Sannyasa order from Kasavabharati, although Kasavabharati was not in the Vaisnava Sampradaya school. After consulting with Kasavabharati, the Lord left Navadvi before Katwa to formally accept the Sannyasa order of life. He was accompanied by Srila Natayananda Prabhu, Kandrasekharaya, and Mukunda Dada. Those three assisted him in the details of the ceremony. The incident of the Lord's accepting the Sannyasa order is very elaborately described in the Ketanaya Bhagavata by Srila Vrindavana Dasafakura. Thus at the end of his 24th year the Lord accepted the Sannyasa order of life in the month of Mega. After accepting this order he became a full-fledged preacher of the Bhagavata Dharma. Although he was doing the same preaching work in his householder life, when he experienced some obstacles to his preaching he sacrificed even the comfort of his home life for the sake of the fallen souls. In his householder life his chief assistants were Srila Advaita Prabhu and Srila Srivasafakura, but after he accepted the Sannyasa order his chief assistants became Srila Matayananda Prabhu, who was deputed to preach specifically in Bengal, and the six Gosvamis, Rupa Gosvami, Sanatana Gosvami, Jiva Gosvami, Gopalabhata Gosvami, Raghunatha Dasa Gosvami and Raghunatha Bhatta Gosvami, headed by Srila Rupa and Sanatana, who were deputed to go to Vrindavana to excavate the present places of pilgrimage. The present city of Vrindavana and the importance of Vrajabhumi were thus disclosed by the will of Lord Shri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu. The Lord, after accepting the Sannyasa order, at once wanted to start for Vrindavana. For three continuous days he traveled in the Radhadisa, places, where the gangs does not flow. He was in full ecstasy over the idea of going to Vrindavana. However, Srila Matayananda diverted his path and brought him instead to the house of Advaita Prabhu in Santipura. The Lord stayed at Sri Advaita Prabhu's house for a few days, and knowing well that the Lord was leaving his hearth and home for good, Sri Advaita Prabhu sent his men to Navadvipa to bring Mother Sassi to have a last meeting with her son. Some unscrupulous people say that Lord Ketanaya met his wife also after taking Sanayasa and offered her his wooden slipper for worship, but the authentic sources give no information about such a meeting. His mother met him at the house of Advaita Prabhu, and when she saw her son in Sanayasa dress, she lamented. By way of compromise, she requested her son to make his headquarters in Puri, so that she would easily be able to get information about him. The Lord granted this last desire of his beloved mother. After this incident the Lord started for Puri, leaving all the residents of Navadvipa in an ocean of lamentation over his separation. The Lord visited many important places on the way to Puri. He visited the temple of Gopinathaji, who had stolen condensed milk for his devotee Srila Madhavendra Puri. Since then deity Gopinathaji is well known as Ksirakorgopinatha. The Lord relished this story with great pleasure. The propensity of stealing is there even in the Absolute Consciousness, but because this propensity is exhibited by the Absolute, it loses its perverted nature and thus becomes worshipable even by Lord Ketanaya on the basis of the Absolute consideration that the Lord and his stealing propensity are one and identical. This interesting story of Gopinathaji is vividly explained in the Ketanaya Karatamrata by Krishnadasakavirija Gosvami. After visiting the temple of Ksirakorgopinatha of Ramuna at Balasuri in Orissa, the Lord proceeded towards Puri and on the way visited the temple of Saxigopala, who appeared as a witness in the matter of two Brahmana. Devotees' family quarrel. The Lord heard the story of Saxigopala with great pleasure, because he wanted to impress upon the atheists that the worshipable deities in the temples approved by the great Akaris are not idols, as alleged by men with a poor fund of knowledge. The deity in the temple is the Arca incarnation of the personality of Godhead, and thus the deity is identical with the Lord in all respects. He responds to the proportion of the devotee's affection for him. In the story of Saxigopala, in which there was a family misunderstanding by two devotees of the Lord, the Lord, in order to mitigate the turmoil as well as to show specific favor to his servitors, traveled from Vrindavana to Vidyanagara, a village in Orissa, in the form of his Arca incarnation. From there the deity was brought to Kanak, and thus the temple of Saxigopala is even today visited by thousands of pilgrims on the way to Jagannathapuri. The Lord stayed overnight there and began to proceed toward Puri. On the way, his Sanayasa rod was broken by Natayan and Prabhu left square bracket cc. Madhai 1.97 right square bracket. 
The Lord became apparently angry with him about this and went alone to Piri, leaving his companions behind left square bracket cc. Manhai 1.98 right square bracket. At Piri, when he entered the temple of Jaganatha, he became at once saturated with transcendental ecstasy and fell down on the floor of the temple unconscious. The custodians of the temple could not understand the transcendental feats of the Lord, but there was a great learned Pandita. Named Sarvabhana Bhattacharya, who was present, and he could understand that the Lord's losing his consciousness upon entering the Jaganatha temple was not an ordinary thing. Sarvabhana Bhattacharya, who was the chief appointed pandit in the court of the king of Orissa, Maharaja Prataparadra, was attracted by the youthful luster of Lord Sri Ketanaya Mahaprabhu and could understand that such a transcendental trance was only rarely exhibited and only then by the topmost devotees who are already on the transcendental plane in complete forgetfulness of material existence. Only a liberated soul could show such a transcendental feat, and the Bhattacharya, who was vastly learned could understand this in the light of the transcendental literature with which he was familiar. He therefore asked the custodians of the temple not to disturb the unknown Sanyasi. He asked them to take the Lord to his home so he could be further observed in his unconscious state. The Lord was at once carried to the home of Sarvabhana Bhattacharya, who at that time had sufficient power of authority due to his being the Sabha Pandita, or the state dean of faculty in Sanskrit literatures. The learned Pandita wanted to scrutinizingly test the transcendental feats of Lord Ketanaya, because often unscrupulous devotees imitate physical feats in order to flaunt transcendental achievements just to attract innocent people and take advantage of them. A learned scholar like the Bhattacharya can detect such impostors, and when he finds them out he at once rejects them. In the case of Lord Ketanaya Mahaprabhu, the Bhattacharya tested all the symptoms in the light of the Sastras. He tested as a scientist, not as a foolish sentimentalist. He observed the movement of the stomach, the beating of the heart and the breathing of the nostrils. He also felt the pulse of the Lord and saw that all his bodily activities were in complete suspension. When he put a small cotton swab before the nostrils, he found that there was a slight breathing, as the fine fibers of cotton moved slightly. Thus he came to know that the Lord's unconscious trance was genuine, and he began to treat him in the prescribed fashion. But Lord Ketanaya Mahaprabhu could only be treated in a special way. He would respond only to the resounding of the holy names of the Lord by his devotees. This special treatment wasn't known to Sarvabhana Bhattacharya, because the Lord was still unknown to him. When the Bhattacharya saw him for the first time in the temple, he simply took him to be one of many pilgrims. In the meantime the companions of the Lord, who reached the temple a little after him, heard of the Lord's transcendental feats and of his being carried away by the Bhattacharya. The pilgrims at the temple were still gossiping about the incident. But by chance, one of these pilgrims had met Gopinatha who was known to Gadadhara Pandita, and from him it was learned that the Lord was lying in an unconscious state at the residence of Sarvabhana Bhattacharya, who happened to be the brother-in-law of Gopinatha All the members of the party were introduced by Gadadhara Pandita to Gopinatha who took them all to the house of Bhattacharya, where the Lord was lying unconscious in a spiritual trance. All the members then chanted loudly the holy name of the Lord Harry as usual, and the Lord regained his consciousness. After this, Bhattacharya received all the members of the party, including Lord Natayananda Prabhu, and asked them to become his guests of honor. The party, including the Lord, went for a bath in the sea, and the Bhattacharya arranged for their residence and meals at the house of Kasin Misrap. Yupinathakariya, his brother-in-law, also assisted. There were some friendly talks about the Lord's divinity between the two brothers-in-law, and in this argument Gopinathakariya, who knew the Lord before, now tried to establish the Lord as the personality of Godhead, and the Bhattacharya tried to establish him as one of the great devotees. Both of them argued from the angle of vision of authentic sastras and not on the strength of sentimental vox populi. The incarnations of God are determined by authentic sastras and not by popular votes of foolish fanatics. Because Lord Ketanaya was an incarnation of God in fact, foolish fanatics have proclaimed so many so-called incarnations of God in this age without referring to authentic scriptures. 
but Sarvabhanabhatakariya or Gopinathakariya did not indulge in such foolish sentimentalism, on the contrary, both of them tried to establish or reject his divinity on the strength of authentic sastras. Later it was disclosed that Bhattacharya also came from the Navadvipa area, and it was understood from him that Nilambara Kakravarti, the maternal grandfather of Lord Ketanaya, happened to be a class fellow of the father of Sarvabhana Bhattacharya. In that sense, the young Sannyasi Lord Ketanaya evoked paternal affection from Bhattacharya. Bhattacharya was the professor of many Sannyasis in the order of the Sankarakarya Sampradaya, and he himself also belonged to that cult. As such, the Bhattacharya desired that the young Sannyasi Lord Ketanaya also hear from him about the teachings of Vedanta. Those who are followers of the Sankara cult are generally known as Vedantists. This does not, however, mean that Vedanta is a monopoly study of the Sankara Sampradaya. Vedanta is studied by all the bona fide Sampradayas, but they have their own interpretations. But generally only those in the Sankara Sampradaya are known as Vedantists, and people have no knowledge of the Vaisnava Vedantists. For this reason the Bhaktivedanta title was first offered to the author by the Vaisnavas. The Lord agreed to take lessons from Bhattacharya on the Vedanta, and they sat together in the temple of Lord Jagannatha. The Bhattacharya went on speaking continually for seven days, and the Lord heard him with all attention and did not interrupt. The Lord's silence raised some doubts in Bhattacharya's heart, and he asked the Lord how it was that he did not ask anything or comment on his explanations of Vedanta. The Lord posed himself before the Bhattacharya as a foolish student and pretended that he heard the Vedanta from him, because the Bhattacharya felt that this was the duty of a sannyasi. But the Lord did not agree with his lectures. By this the Lord indicated that the so-called Vedantists amongst the Sankara Sampradaya, or any other Sampradaya who do not follow the instructions of Srila Vyasadeva are mechanical students of the Vedanta. They are not fully aware of that great knowledge. The explanation of the Vedanta Sutra is given by the author himself in the text of Srimad Bhagavatam. One who has no knowledge of the Bhagavatam will hardly be able to know what the Vedanta says. The Bhattacharya, being a vastly learned man, could follow the Lord's sarcastic remarks on the popular Vedantist. He therefore asked him why he did not ask about any point which he could not follow. The Bhattacharya could understand the purpose of his dead silence for the days he heard him. This showed clearly that the Lord had something else in mind, thus the Bhattacharya requested him to disclose his mind. Upon this, the Lord spoke, as follows, My dear sir, I can understand the meaning of the sutras like Janmadi Asayayana, Sastra Yanivat, and Athapal Brahma Jijnasa of the Vedanta Sutra, but when you explain them in your own way it becomes difficult for me to follow them. The purpose of the sutras is already explained in them, but your explanations are covering them with something else. You do not purposely take the direct meaning of the sutras, but indirectly give your own interpretations. The Lord thus attacked all Vedantists who interpret the Vedanta Sutra. Fashionably, according to their limited power of thinking, to serve their own purpose. Such indirect interpretations of the authentic literatures like the Vedanta Sutra are hereby condemned by the Lord. The Lord continued, Srila Vyasadeva has summarized the direct meanings of the mantras in the Upanishads in the Vedanta Sutra. Unfortunately you do not take their direct meaning. You indirectly interpret them in a different way. The authority of the Vedas is unchallengeable and stands without any question of doubt. And whatever is stated in the Vedas must be accepted completely, otherwise one challenges the authority of the Vedas. The Kanshal and Kaudang are bone and stool of two living beings. But because they have been recommended by the Vedas as pure, people accept them as such because of the authority of the Vedas. The idea is that one cannot set his imperfect reason above the authority of the Vedas. The orders of the Vedas must be obeyed, as they stand, without any mundane reasoning. The so-called followers of the Vedic injunctions make their own interpretations of the Vedic injunctions, and thus they establish different parties and sects of the Vedic religion. Lord Buddha directly denied the authority of the Vedas, and he established his own religion. Only for this reason, the Buddhist religion was not accepted by the strict followers of the Vedas. But those who are so-called followers of the Vedas are more harmful than the Buddhists. The Buddhists have the courage to deny the Vedas directly, but the so-called followers 